1: April 14th, 2020, and you're tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined as always by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes, and our uh, guest today, Jeremy Fedor from the Cleveland Indians, communications coordinator and team historian. Jeremy, good to talk to you.
2: Hey, great to be here. I mean, I'd rather be at the ballpark, but obviously well, it is what it is.
1: I think we'd all rather be at the ballpark at this point, and you know, hopefully that's coming in, in some way shape or form or, or the other you know pretty soon uh you know but until then you, you've, you've got a lot of things going on and just with this coronavirus pandemic and everybody being home and you know no sports being played on tv nothing to nothing to do they're airing a lot of these these past games on on sports time and things like that but you know from your perspective you're able to provide some content uh, with the access that you have to the the Indians archives, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're providing to Indians fans during this uh, pandemic and this time when we're sheltered inside.
2: So I guess the the big thing I, I'm trying to do, my overall uh, grand arch of everything is, you know, as the, the team historian for the club, um, I want to get, you know, you mentioned where they're showing games on STO and, obviously a lot of those are more recent or they're the nineties and you know, that's, that's great. You know, fans can relate because fans were alive and fans remember that stuff. Uh, but for me, I also want to convey the fact that, you know, we're over a hundred years old and you know, organized baseball in Cleveland too, has been played for 150 years. So there's this deep well of history. And I, um, you know, want to dip a little deeper than just, uh, you know, the nineties or, or recently and, Convey the fact that we're not just uh, uh, Bob Feller in the '40s and a lot of bad baseball in the '90s, and now you know there's a lot more to it. And even in those like bad seasons, there's still history. There's still stories that are are ripe for telling. So um, you know the other avenue with with everything is it's 2020, which is the 100th anniversary of the 1920 team, which was our first. Pennant, or first World Series team, first pennant winning team. And they kind of get overshadowed because, you know, the 48 team, there's still people alive that saw Feller and saw Boudreaux. And, and uh, you know, anyone that was at a game in 1920, odds are, unless they're, you know, 110 <laughs> or something like that. Um, hey, they're
1: not getting to many games this uh, <laughs> lately recently, right?
2: Right. And, and the history of that team and of the guys, and even, you know, before that, they they don't have numbers, so you can't retire a number, so we don't have them up in the Raptors, and we, we have ways of getting it out there, but it, it's still not as, I mean, there's no video, there's, there's no uh, game action, I mean, there's a few things here and there, so, um, you know, I wanted to kind of tell that story, because I think it almost reads like a, a movie script too, so what I'm doing, and it's going to veer off this once I complete the nineteen twenty um storyline I guess. But I'm doing it's called Our Tribe History. It's a, a podcast about obviously the Indians history and you know kind of you guys do. I want to get some different voices. So um I covered in the first one from a quick nineteen oh one to nineteen fifteen, which again you could do you could spend episodes on that era, um, especially with Lajue and mm-hmm. and everything that what happened there. But as it happens, you know, 1915, the owners financial troubles. They trade Shoeless Joe, and then he ends up selling the team. And um, Jim Dunn comes in and immediately signs Tris Speaker. And you know, fans, I feel like there's such a lost um, appreciation for for a guy like Speaker. Um, you know, I saw Mandy Bell had a great year. Who's your the greatest second baseman in Indians history? And I think right. Robbie was winning it. And don't get me wrong, Robbie Elmer is great, but. You know, Nap Lajoie is one of the uh, you know the, the greatest of all baseball, time. Yeah. yeah, Right. And same goes with with Tris Speaker. If you ask an you know an Indians fan, I'm sure if Maddie puts something up, Lofton's going to get all the votes. And that's not to take away from Kenny Lofton. It's that, more of a
1: that's hard. recency. It's recency bias, is what that
2: is. Right, but like having having a uh, uh, you know appreciation for the fact that Tris Speaker is literally one of the greatest center fielders of, of all time. And the impact he had on Cleveland um, later in as a player manager and then coming back with with Doby, I think it's just uh, – is fascinating. And I think he was a feller before feller because he ended up – after he retired, he hung around Cleveland and won the mm-hmm. Hall of Fame as a Cleveland, kind of was a good ambassador. Um, so, you know, telling the story. And there's, again, more to just the 1920 team than Ray Chapman getting you – know, not to sound crass, but hitting the the drilled in the head and, and killed. You know, there's there's a lot more to that team that how it came together and how they um, mm-hmm. kind of fought through adversity and the way from when Speaker comes in in 1916 to when they won in 1920. I mean, my last podcast I looked at uh, how the impact of World War One had on on the team and some of the guys. I mean, again, going back to Feller, we focused much more on World War Two with these veterans. I mean, Gene Bearden was a Purple Heart winner and obviously feller at his his um medals, but you know, we had guys over in World War One get gassed and some guys were able to come back and play, some guys not so much. Um but uh so again getting that out there um and I think you know and everyone's stuck at home, maybe you don't have time to read and we have avenues of you know, I try to do a companion blog post, but mm-hmm. sometimes I know people would much rather just put something in their ear while they're doing dishes or taking a walk. And um you know it's a good way to uh to get that out there, and I can use um, primary, you know, the original plane dealers from the time. And uh, when I spoke at World War One, I, I, I spoke with an author um, who has a book on World War One and baseball. So, especially having saber as a resource too, there's mm-hmm. so many people that have um, expertise in different areas of baseball, which you know I think is one of the coolest features of baseball is. I mean, there's still people studying the Black Sox uh, scandal, and I spoke with uh, Jacob Pomeranki last night. He's the chair of the Black Sox uh, scandal, and obviously the Indians finished second place in 1919, and you know we we traded uh, or we let go of uh, Chick Gandil to the the White Sox um, after was uh, 16, and he's one of the you know the big names in that scandal and right. Shoeless Joe and when that Joe Sheila's Joe trade was announced, we almost traded Chapman instead. And like the the course of history, like the what ifs, if Chapman would have went and Jackson would have stayed, obviously the odds of Chapman dying from a, uh, a bean ball like that, you know, probably have been drastically decreased, but um, so, you know, I'm trying to dive into these topics and, um, see what's out there and then remind fans. I mean, just because we don't have 27 world titles doesn't mean these guys aren't worth remembering. And, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's Jack Rainey or, you know, eventually i like to get, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, there's history there, but I have a, a bias towards the early stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. And, well, I'm and, and to- you've got a,
1: you've got a great resource here as a guy who was a cub reporter for those 1920 teams. <laughs> uh, you know, Hoynesy, and just hearing you know some of that history coming coming up, what, you know, what what do you think of, of Jeremy's efforts to sort of keep that stuff alive and, and, and make sure that the people have have access to you know that sort of information?
0: Well, I love it. I think that's it's it's really important. I know uh, Jeremy uh, referred to uh, Ray Chapman. I read the book uh, What the Pitch That Killed, and and not so much about Chapman, but just the reaction of Cleveland to him. When, after he died and how the city kind of came to a standstill and, you know, just, you know, the mourners and, you know, that's how the grip baseball had on the city then. It, it, it was amazing to me. It was really, you know, compelling, I thought. And uh, it just showed you how important, you know, baseball was. I and mean, not that it's not important now, but it was kind of the only game in town then, it seemed right. like. And uh, uh, it really kind of ruled – Ruled, uh, you know, the newspapers and the media. It was, it was the the, the one focal point.
2: I, yeah, you, you mentioned how you know the the stranglehold baseball had. And I think there's even a podcast in that Brookside Park game. If I get around to that one, you know, you see these pictures of a supposedly 100,000 people, mm-hmm. you know, for an amateur league game. I mean, there's all these different branches and tentacles you can uh, explore, and um, you know, especially with with Chapman, when <laughs> fans come to the ballpark. And they're in Heritage Park. Like that plaque that's down in Heritage Park, that was created, i um, like pretty quickly after Chapman died and hung in League Park and at the old ballpark. And like, you know, it's a piece of history you can touch and uh you know connect with with the past there. So, you know, letting people know it, that, you know, it's not just a plaque that we had made and put up recently, but there's there's still tangible evidence. So if you're walking down East 9th and see uh, see the the church, you know, that's where Chapman was buried out of. And, uh, yeah kinds of still built structures and and uh you could see to have that connection jeremy Jeremy, uh,
0: i I was wondering uh what what happened in in the the spanish flu in in 1918 did did baseball stop then do you what was that during the baseball season i was reading
2: i mean the the 18th season ended early just because of of world war uh, one so like i mean by like the mid of July, there was all that is baseball essential. Is it not? And then, uh, the secretary of, was it war Newton Baker said, well, baseball is not essential, but you guys can finish the season. So I'm not sure the, um, what the parameters were of the, the flu, but it was mostly more toward because of, of the war and, okay. you know, needing to either work or fight, uh, it kind of caused the season to, uh, to end and then even going through that was fascinating because again jim dunn the indians owner was kind of mad that the season went past you know mid-july it's like we really should have shut down like why are we still playing and we're a team that finished that was like two and a half games behind the red sox so that is one of those near misses we've had in our history where obviously the playoffs aren't like they are now so you had to win it all and sort of
1: like sort of like 1994
2: huh yeah well in like 1908 too we were a half game back of the uh of the uh, Tigers, like we have all these like close calls where we we could have four or five World Series titles, but because of either a really great Yankees team or or just bad luck or weird coincidences, uh, then you have 48 where you uh, you win a random playoff game. So once in a while, things go our way.
1: <laughs> all right, Jeremy, uh, tell uh, everybody who's listening how they can access uh, this information that you're putting up. Uh, I, I'm assuming through Indians.com is, is, is a way to get there as well
2: uh yeah there's i think if you go through the blog i know if you go through um like apple podcasts or spotify um mm-hmm. any place you'd really find podcasts uh you can find it's called again our tribe history and then um you know on our social media especially facebook we'll every friday i try and do it every friday have it out and we'll do like a, a blog post that says you know click here it kind of gives a gist of what it's about and then at the bottom there's a, a link you can click to uh access that and like i said next one's 1919 and then we'll get into the 20 season and kind of break that down a little bit um and uh uh, i don't know how long it's it's i kind of want to fly by the seat of my pants things i'm still pretty new at this but um there's you know that fine balance between getting too lost in the weeds because there's all again all kinds of these cool one-off stories and uh uh I well, mean I don't want I don't want to just get into like in this game Trish Speaker at three hits and, mm-hmm. you know that gets kind of dull after a while too so finding that balance of making these guys seem like they were real people and the characters that they were versus just going to baseball reference and looking at stats and you know again anyone right. can can do that
1: well tell us how how you sort of fell into this job as the the Indians team historian what how long have you been with the the club and and how did you become how, – how does one become a team historian?
2: So I'm actually one of uh, – I mean, I'd say about more than half the teams have someone in uh, in my position. And uh, actually, the Indians were the very first team to have a museum and a Hall of Fame back in 1951 and Shoeless Joe's in our Hall of Fame. Um, and we had a museum back at the old ballpark up until, about yeah. the 70s. And the stuff that – they said they had wombie's triple play ball, they had a Lajue bat and all kinds of stuff and then it just got boarded up when kind of things went down down, uh, downhill and stuff got lost, got walked away. Um, so I, we have a couple of pictures but nothing shows the artifacts we had mm-hmm. um, but nevertheless um, I uh, have a master's degree in museum and archive work and for a while I was working a couple of part-time jobs. I was with my BW, my undergrad and I did a little work with the Browns when they had mm-hmm. that little museum that went away um, and a few other jobs, but I said, well, I'm a kid of the 90s. I love baseball. I love, you know, the Indians. Um, so I ended up getting in contact with Bobby D and saying, Hey, this is what I do. I know other teams have people like, is there a use for me? And sure <laughs> enough, him and Curtis were like, yeah, we can you know, figure something out. And then uh, in my first year, I was an intern that was 2014. Uh, the Feller Museum in Iowa was closing. So um, Bobby D and I, flew out there and um, packed up a u-haul with bob's son uh, steve feller mm-hmm. and uh, bobby flips me the keys and says all right you're driving so It's <laughs> december so i'm like oh god and he's like on the phone the whole time and like bobby am i gonna kill us like can i get change lanes and stuff and uh, how, how they, does that not
1: how does that not get made into a netflix movie you and bobby oh, on the road back to yeah. iowa not kind
2: of what it was remotely it's like pretty chill but like it was hard to hear we we're in the u-haul and you know, we we stayed at halfway in like South Bend. And we had to back the U-Haul up to like some bushes to add extra protection, so no one would break in. um But yeah, Bobby was like always on the phone or texting. And I was like just kind of driving, I'm like all right, you know. And we tuned into yeah. a Cavs game. I think halfway through there. But um, so then you know, the organization saw kind of the value, and I mean, they've always seen a value in it. I mean, from you know Paul on down, everyone understands that there's a, an appreciation for the history and. I think most fans do too, because yes, you're a fan of the team because of Lindor and because of Jose and, and uh, you know, Clev and those guys. But, you know, they're in 10 years. These guys are all, gone. you know, it, it, it's always a changing thing. So the past is, is static now. I mean, you'll see just as many Feller jerseys at a game than you, as you'll see, you know, current guys. And that's like that with most teams that aren't the Tampa Bay Rays or, or you know Florida Marlins, I mean, and, and it's kind of one of my goals too is you know if you talk to a Yankees fan, they'll rattle off Maris mantle, Yogi, and I want fans, yes, tommy's great and you know and and bell and and feller and doby, but you know don't forget Kovaleski and don't forget Eddie Joss and uh, right. and even guys in the the sixties seventies and uh um but there's definitely a rich history, and uh you know we've been Again, right after the Civil War, the four cities were founded. And, and they were paying guys, just they weren't paying the entire team like the Reds. So, you know, the Reds take all this credit. But, you know, we're just as early as uh, as the Reds. And Cleveland's got so many notable firsts in terms of, uh, you know, the 1871 four cities played the first professional-professional uh, league game in Fort Wayne. You know, I mentioned in the podcast, first team to wear uniform numbers on our sleeve – um, and all these different, you know, one-offs that I think are are pretty unique. So,
0: yeah, what, what does this treasure trove look like? I mean, is it like, does it take like three stories and like you got storage bins and what do you got?
2: That's so that's like, it's, it's bittersweet. So the bad part is you'd think we'd have so much stuff from like the nineties, but like, I was talking to Bobby D and when they saw it, Albert's bat, bat in half when the playoff game, when they thought it was corked, they gave it back to Bobby. And he's like, Bobby offered to Albert and Albert didn't want it. So he got thrown away. So something oh. like that's like, Oh, oh, oh damn or like I, I did find out Holbrook Cabrera's bat from the, the comeback. Part of oh. it's at Cooperstown. So like every once in a while, things make it through, but you know, I, I asked Tommy about the ball he caught to clinch the uh, 95 team. I think he still has that, but, We've been fortunate. So we have, like, for example, we have Tyler Naquin's walk-off inside the park jersey um, because the guys kind of ripped that. So we were able to save that. Um, We have the last out ball um, and the walk-off from games 15 through 22 of the win streak.
1: Yeah, I wanted Um, to ask – we'll go back to that. I wanted to ask you about that, but go ahead.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, So Loop Low last year was the guy that hit the home run to set the franchise record for home runs. So we got Loop's bat. Um, Bauer's batting gloves. So We have Bower, uh, his bloody jersey from the ALCS. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the ball we clinched in 16 in the Central. We have the one in the the uh, division series, but then Carlos kept the one in uh, in Toronto, so we don't have that one. But- what's
1: what's the level of coordination that it takes to make sure you get those those balls or those the those things of significance in 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 that time? Because I remember, you know, just being in the press box watching between you and Bart Swain and all the other guys just coordinating, you know, who's going to make sure they they get where they're going to be to to make sure that ball doesn't get flipped in the stands or something like that.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, that's two part. I mentioned ball gets flipped in the stands when a cab had that unassisted triple play, that ball, oh, ball got flipped yeah. in the stands. Um, when Corey had his 18 strikeout, that ball got flipped into the stands too. Um, but a lot of it, I mean, most of it is, it's hats off to Barton court because they're the ones that, um, you know, Uh, talk to the players and are able to to get Russell that away Um, especially with on the road I'll text Bart like in the eighth inning and like when Carrasco had that no hitter going in uh Tampa Tampa, you know you kind of the player gets what he wants first and we kind of say like well what like when Bowers hit his um cycle it's like hey like anything would be cool and if worse comes to worse you try to get a lineup card which is easy for us or a ball from the game but Bowers was you know, cool enough to give us his bad gloves. But do you
0: have, like, do you have, like, copies of the Plain Dealer going back to 1901? And do you have all that stuff?
2: So if you want copies, actually, if anyone that's got a Cuyahoga County Library card can access the Plain Dealer um, archive from the Cuyahoga County website, it's all digitized up until 1991. From 1991 till present, it's just uh, text. But what's neat is you can kind of get, like, I'll search stuff and you find these cool pictures of league park. I found a picture of like the 1901 team, uh, in one of the plane dealers. So, um, cause the newspaper itself is, is extremely brittle. So like,
0: yeah, you we'll know, right.
2: save all that stuff. And like, I hate to break it to you, but like a 1994 opening day newspaper is probably worth more sentimentally than it is. I mean, you know, pe- we have people that try to donate stuff like that and it's, we have our own copies of it, but at the end of the day, that stuff is just, um, you know, it's mass produced. It's the paper, like quality. It's it's that acidic uh, stuff. So I mean, it's right. why if you have scrapbooks now, and stuff, they all just they're falling to pieces.
1: Now, now, do you have the, the the one the white whale? Do you have the Roger Davis home run ball? That's that would be like the that would be it. what's the story we, behind that ball? Do you know have, where that is?
2: He gave us his jersey. We have his jersey from that. Um, the ball hit and came back in the field, and I don't know. No one knows where it went or, or <laughs> what happened to it. And, like, I don't think there's any video that shows it bouncing into the left field, and the left fielder chucking it. And I know that, like, the Cubs, I, I think that, uh, was it Rizzo gave the ball, the last out ball to the owner. I, there was a story with that, too. Like, it's always interesting to try to, like, trace it down. Like, in the authentication process, I'm not like, sure fans realize how intense that is, but, like you know, if a player's signing autographs, and then the authenticator comes, those balls he already signed before the authenticator came in, can't be authenticated, because he didn't see, like, so that's why if a ball goes in the stands, and so, someone says, I have the triple play ball, it's like, well, you know, no one, anyone can say that, because they all look the same,
1: right, somebody so, has uh, to have eyes on it the whole time, or something like that,
2: yeah, and like, you know, there's, there's like some loosey-goose, not loosey-goosey, but like, like Bobby Bradley, I know he had a, his first hit was a double, and one of the stands, and mm-hmm. uh, I think someone tossed it back, and a lot of those guys, it's a good faith thing, and and Curtis's father Rick does a good job of, yeah. of tracking that stuff down, and usually like the ushers can get to it quick, so there's enough of a uh, of a chain of custody, so to speak, that you know that okay that's that's the ball um, so
1: so what you're saying basically is that the roger davis home run ball is, is probably on some guy's shelf in parma right now I mean, we, it, we it, don't
2: know. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i was thinking too i mean we think about uh david ortiz his last hit was in cleveland and mm-hmm. no one would have known that was his last hit but so that ball was it ever authenticated i, I don't know um but um yeah, like and when we opened the feller thing, the exhibit, so that's the same day Corey struck out all those cardinals and we got the fourteenth strikeout ball, but like I said, Robo the eighteenth was the third out. So it's just muscle memory to to flip that away. And, down, yeah. So someone has it and you know, they could tell us they have it, but at the end of the day I could tell you I you know, I'll pull a baseball out and you know, it's you <laughs> can't even really photo match a baseball and we've had people I got a guy called say so Elmer Smith's bat from the uh 20 world series it's like well you know it's just it's it'd be impossible unless you
1: yeah it could just be an old bat
2: unless you're the family of the player and it's been sitting around and there's you know we have some feller stuff where feller wrote on this glove my opening day no hitter glove and you know you just some of that stuff you just take it for uh for what it's worth and uh or like the feller ruth bat we have there's enough of a chain of custody and it it photo matches pretty well but you know it's got the right chain and documentation that you know it's it's the bat but um, so i mean that's kind of like the the indiana jones part of the job i guess and you know i i would kill to see more pictures of the old hall of fame um there's an article in the 88 plain dealer that mentioned like all the stuff that they had somewhere there was a book that inventoried everything um But one that stuff got boxed up it's like that forty eight pennant you know we have pictures of it on the field in like the sixties or seventies, and then did it just get thrown away and uh mm-hmm. but you know, we have come across cool stuff. we do have larry doby's contract from forty seven when he signed um so I mean talk about like the the value i mean i 'm always hesitant to talk about values of things because i i'm not a collector, so I just like having people. Able to see the stuff because you know it, heritage park's great, but the plaques don't change. You know it's it's right. neat to see a a ball from a game or a jersey, and that's why in like twenty years or something like that, when when Nate comes back as an alumni, like we can put his jersey out from that game, and you know some dad can tell his kid, I was you know watching that game, and everyone went crazy, and that's the jersey with the dirt stain and everything, and that, I think that's more powerful than you know a plaque or. Or what have
0: you? Did How Did much- you play a role in in put making the the uh, pregame film that shows on the scoreboard? You know all the all the old uh, video videos. Uh, you know you got speaker on there and all those guys.
2: Those are our scoreboard guys like our live experience, and they're great. And we've come across like if I find stuff, I'll send it to them. There's a it's like a South Carolina University archive it has a cool um, uh, spring training video of when Walter Johnson was manager, and it's it's a real neat thing, but. You know, video footage is just so hard and so far and few between to to come by. But with MLB, um, you know, they're digitizing so much of their stuff, and it's hit or miss in terms of like, hey, give a highlight from this game in '91. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But a lot of that older stuff is just, uh, you know, was either not thought to be saved or you know recorded over, or uh, um, yeah, it's it's all. You know, every, every once in a while you hear these neat stories, like there was a uh, a landfill dug up in uh, in Alaska a couple years ago, and what they turned up were old film canisters. And one was from the 1919 World Series, and yeah. had they wow. really digitized it, and there was yeah. uh, one of the disputed plays was on there. So, like, you know, there there are clips from the 1920 series, but every once in a while you see these League Park clips. Yeah, but
0: with those. Larry Dolby, you know, they have they, they they've got Dolby on there. I, you know I saw that I first saw that at Yankee Stadium. They do a great job, you know. Yeah. With, with their uh, history,
1: how, uh, yeah. how how much of a kick did you get out of it when the the Hall of Fame's traveling exhibit came through last year for the for the All Star game? And you know, was there anything that the the Indians contributed to that?
2: Yeah, uh, I ended up talking to uh, their people for a while, and it's kind of neat to see like the stuff that we sent them, and it's kind of nice having first. So during the win streak, you know, they wanted certain things, and obviously Jay Bruce had the the walk off double. Well, I wanted the jersey, and we were able to get the jersey. So I gave them second base. Well, I'm not saying I gave them, but the Indians <laughs> gave them second base um, as a, a memento from that game and from game one or the game. Tw- we wanted twenty, twenty-one, and 22. We gave them like a pitch ball by Kluber, and they're not too um, too specific on anything, like as long as it's something. And and that's, I guess, bigger picture too. Is there's a lot of teams that have museums now. The Reds do a great job. The Cardinals. And the, down the, the Royals, line, my
1: yeah, Royals, Royals have a nice amazing. one. Amazing, yeah.
2: Um, so if we ever get something that's you know a climate-controlled nice situation, um, the Hall of Fame has a lot of Indian stuff, and they're obviously not the Cleveland Indians Hall of Fame. They're baseball, so you can't have the stuff on display at all times. So you know they they do loans with teams. You just have to have the right setup um, to be able to uh, yeah. display the stuff and secure it properly. So. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like we're still kind of the same team with uh with the Hall of Fame. Uh, storage space is always of a of of value. So you, you think about things too that are more valuable to an organization than uh than to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So I mean obviously like a guy like Charles Nagy or, or uh, Carlos Bayer got they're not gonna make it into the baseball hall of fame. So that's why you have a team hall of fame to kinda of honor those guys that Um, you know fans remember and fans uh uh love and uh you know i don't know what what john adams plan is with his drum or you know things (laughs) like that that's the stuff you kind of wonder about you know because it makes like clevelanders will remember that but you know someone from from phoenix visiting the hall of fame is like oh there's a drum you know it's uh yeah yeah right Again, I, I don't know. I've never talked to John about that, so I just
0: – That's in his will somewhere. That's, that's yeah. going somewhere. Right, the, Hall of Fame's got the, <laughs> the Hall of Fame's got the
1: Joe Charbonneau record. They're set. They don't need the drum. We're good.
2: Yeah, I saw the other top picks for each team, and uh, one of their things was uh, – The Joe was, Charbonneau record. Yeah. God. But another interesting thing we found out when we were doing the Frank Robinson statue is no one saved his lineup card from that game we had to kind of recreate it from what it would have looked like. And, uh, so no one really had the, where the family didn't have it. The hall of fame didn't have it. yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, maybe, you know, someone has it in a closet or I don't know. Are the names
0: on the card? Are the names on the card? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So we, we took, we found what a lineup card would have looked like from, from that year or close enough to that year. And then baseball reference obviously has it all on Frank's, uh, and then, you know, working with Dave Deming, that dude is just incredible. The, uh, the, the sculptures sculptor. he makes mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's wild. He's, he did
1: so. Robinson and Tomy and uh, the Lou Boudreau one, right? And Dobie. And Dobie. Yeah, so he's not all,
2: all of them but Feller.
1: All of them but the Feller one, that's... Which, yeah. again,
2: speaking of statues too, I'm a, a firm believer that Speaker and Lajue both, uh, I mean, I love statues too, but those yeah. two are uh, you know, again, the hark back on that early part. Two guys that I don't know if I say they saved the franchise, but they definitely added legitimacy and, and corrected a ship that was was uh
0: sure uh,
2: rudderless, I guess. And right. uh yeah, they're 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 two of my favorites and I think they have interesting stories yeah, too. In o-
1: the... Omar will get his statue before they get uh before they get theirs, probably. Climbing <laughs> up in the, <laughs> the way the, the boats. way that the way that it's going. Yeah.
2: Yeah. All
1: right. Well, Jeremy, uh it's been a real pleasure. We're uh we're about out of time here uh but just uh, real quickly uh again let the let the folks know how they can uh find the stuff you're working on and in the the blog posts and the and the podcasts
2: yeah uh so our tribe history anywhere you can find podcasts uh um i we Indians twitter you can follow me on twitter i, I self promote a little bit there too um it's a, a good avenue again where we trying to maintain um, you know, my love for history. We, I, I try to insert my uh, history stuff with our main account at times, but obviously, you know, we have a current team, with a lot of great guys that fans love. So, you know, for the fans that, you know, don't want to be, uh, or want to hear more about the uh, the Trist speakers and, and this and that you can follow, follow me or, or check out Facebook. And we, we try to post a lot of stuff on there and Instagram. We have a lot of this days in history. So trying to get our our history out to uh to people and and the podcast is just one uh you know new way that we're we're going about it and hopefully it's going to be successful so then if you like it please feel free to uh to uh, uh rate it and, and leave some kind and of work share it. We'll let people,
1: it. Let yeah people well. all you right uh right, you know another good one we'll uh, we'll be back uh with another cleveland baseball talk podcast uh tomorrow